Welcome to Buzz Chat, where Buzz Schneider and me, Kevin Rye, take a look at the practical side of fan engagement. This week, surveys and questionnaires. Resources are in the episode description or at fanengagement.net in the news section. And don't forget to like, subscribe and share. Enjoy the episode. Okay, Baz, so um, today, um, questionnaires, right? Yes. Mm. Questionnaires, now, beautiful topic. Beautiful topic. So um, questionnaires are something everyone's familiar with. Um, mm-hmm. They're used a lot, certainly over here in English football. Um, uh, they've been something that's been a consistent feature for a long time. And in fact, I suspect the same is true over in um, the Netherlands that you've got this habit of organisations sending questionnaires when you, you know, phone up to make a simple inquiry, you end up getting asked to be part of a, a survey. Um, um, you know, a sort of oh, a three, three, three topic questionnaire, for example. Mm-hmm. So questionnaires are something we're very familiar with. Um, I take the view that you've got to be what we'd say in English judicious. You've got to be, you know, you've got to think about when you're using them because I think sometimes they're overused, but they are nonetheless extremely important and very useful ways of finding out um, what someone thinks. And you're going to talk through that now and where it's used. And we're going to talk about how, again, the same, we're going to follow the same pattern with this episode, um, which is how to prepare, who to involve, how to execute, how to analyse and how to report. So, Baz. Correct. Off, mate, how to prepare. Well, give us a little bit of a, a, an opener and then let's start talking about how to prepare for this. Yeah, so surveys are, um, we're, we're in this second episode of our how-tos in fan engagement, how to do some fan engagement research. And the first episode about the experience wheel was very, I, I got some very good feedback on that. So that's, that was very positive. And that's why I think that this, this episode again will help to everyone that listens and works at a club or at a league or wherever you have to work with fans will actually help to, to structure the insights you can get from your fans. Fan surveys, surveying general is a very good method to get a standardized uh, way of responses, which are very easy to analyze. It does take a lot of time because most of it can be done digital. Of course, yeah, in, the, in decades ago, people would have to go door to door. But now, since we have platforms like SurveyMonkey, etc., there's so many ways that surveys can be executed on a large scale that it's quite easy to get um, very good insights from that. Uh, and that's that's the reason why I always advise my clients to do so as well. Uh, the easiest way is a post-match survey, where after the yeah after any home game, you send out an automated survey to your um, general admission ticket buyers, because from them you want to, of course extract insights if they enjoyed the match day, if they uh, were any if there were any things that they should would would like to see improved. Uh, were there any pitfalls in your fan experience? So that is already one use case of how you could use surveys. Um, another one is that I, I think the, the, the Football League does as well. For sure, here in the Netherlands, the Dutch Eredivisie runs an annual one. 
amongst season ticket holders, club card holders, but also just general admission ticket buyers to understand what is the current state of affair of, uh, of, the, of the fan experience and how fans are involved with their clubs. Can I just chuck, quickly chuck something in here? Yes. I mentioned at the very start that, um, that I think in some cases that they can be overused or that I think, if I just clarify, mm -hmm. I think um, it's not always understood the limits of surveying, even if you provide what we call open questions, of course, right. um, and allow people to free text to fill in things. And that, but what they're really, I find they're really useful for, and I'm running one at the moment in rugby league, which is a rugby league fan survey. Mm -hmm. You can find out more about on the uh, uh, Think Fan Engagement website, is that they give you, uh, they establish some framework quite often and give you a general view. And they're good sometimes for drilling down into very particular things, depending on what yes. you use, open or closed, tick box, you know, um, free text or tick box, etc. drop downs. Um, uh, and, you know, they can they can allow you to, yeah, kind of just establish frameworks, explore things a little bit. But they are, yeah, they should be used in along with other tools, shouldn't they? Can you just... Sorry, I, sorry to interrupt. I just thought that was a useful thing to add in there before you launch into. Yeah, hundred. Well, I agree, and it's this is definitely a uh, surveying is one of the methods that is being used the most, and that's for a good reason because, as I said before, it can be performed on a large scale, so you can get you can question a lot of people at the same time. Plus, in combination, it's always a very good one. It's it helps you to prepare for. Season ticket campaigns, for example, if you already understand why previous year people canceled their season tickets, you can then improve your campaign this year. Um, a variety of reasons. Yes, over-surveying is a thing, so it should always be used with caution, but that's up to the surveyor to um, research diff the different groups, say season ticket holders, and I've already mentioned the general admission ticket holders. That's already uh, two distinct groups um, that you can still survey. Okay. Do you want me to dive deeper? Sorry, so carry on, Buzz. Do you want me to carry on? Dive yes, deeper? Yeah, carry, okay. carry, on, carry on. Let's, let's first, we, we get a small definition uh, on surveying. I mean, um, surveying in general is being described as a method of data collection where a sample is taken from the population. We'll uh, get into that in a bit and research via a standardized questionnaire. Could be, uh, could be a digital questionnaire, could be a paper questionnaire, could be any form that you can find, that's fine, but standardized questionnaire. And the reason is that you can use it in two ways. Is uh, First of all, you ask everyone exactly the same question, so everyone has exactly the same interpretation of what you want. Uh, secondly, if you use a questionnaire for multiple times, um, at different times, for example, a couple of a couple of um, couple of times throughout the season or uh, year after year, you can measure improvement or um, you know, over the concepts that you're trying to measure. Back to that sample of the population, it's always impossible to ask every fan, so you always need to take a sample. I will talk about that later on. How do you know if your sample is representative or not? Um, I'll dive in. First topic, how to prepare. Um, most important, always with a questionnaire, define your research questions. What are you trying to measure? 
what is the need that you have as an organization to understand and where you need answers uh, for from your fans. So what's the concept you're trying to get insight on? Is it, for example, um, the, the, I don't know, you want to improve your hospitality offering, but you don't know how? Then there's a very good research question. What do fans expect from our hospitality offering? And you can measure your, or you can start defining your questions based on that. Um, also important, what departments are involved? I will, every time that I'm, I'm putting out new new ideas in this in this uh, explanation on how to how to conduct fan service, I will link this back to an example where which I mentioned before that I always advise my clients to uh, set up post-match surveys in a very similar way that shops do. If you purchase a product like Ikea, for example, here's a questionnaire. Could you uh, tell us your, uh, your experience? I will try to loop it back and give you practical examples. So what departments are involved? Often with, um, for example, with the post-match survey, I always uh, tell my clients, Try to see if other than you as often a marketing department, try to see if there are other, other um, requirements or demands inside the organization as well. Say hospitality, say merchandising, say commercial. Do they want to know something from the fans as well? Because you could put that together in one survey rather than five departments surveying individually. It helps. Um, it helps to prevent exactly what you said as well about over-surveying. Buzz. So, the, yeah. so, so this is this is good. In in just quickly in your experience with clubs, mm -hmm. um, do, who leads on these surveys? Because obviously one of the issues that you might find is that it might be difficult to know who makes the decision on something like this. The marketing department might want to. You might have a separate commercial team who want to. Yeah. Uh, it yeah, it depends a bit on who's, yeah, it, it, it varies. Often it's the marketing department, but uh, it depends a bit how the club is structured because often marketing could be part of the commercial department, but it could also be that the support liaison officer is in charge of these things. Can I make so it depends. Yeah, go for it. Because I think we should try to at least help solve the problem, even if, mm -hmm. you know, even, regardless of the structure, um, maybe what maybe what we should be looking at is to say, look, every single club should diarize, should put in their diary every year, mm -hmm. that's a fan survey. 100%. Regardless of what is contained in that survey, and there will be all sorts of requirements, all sorts of departments will want to have input, or depending on how big your club is, if you're, you know, uh, uh, you know if you're fan-owned, your supporters' trust might be running it. Um, if you're not fan-owned, then it will, it will be a department. Um, but you might still want to have your supporters trust involved, for example, if, if they've got a fan on the board or, you know, you might want to involve your supporters parliament, fans parliament or something, for example. So, um, so the diarising of it, it strikes me as being someone should take responsibility to ensure that there is just a survey done every year, regardless of what's in it. Mm -hmm. so, um, it should be a strategic priority, shouldn't it? And dare I say, it should be part of the strategy. But even if you haven't got a strategy, then diarise having a survey and push to get that survey done. Whoever you, you know, whoever you are, take the initiative, get that done every year. Make sure it's in the diary, and then 
you can deal with how it how the mechanics of it and who leads uh, recognizing it's vital regardless is important i think isn't it well 100% and that you're that spot on what you said it should be part of the strategy that there is indeed a research element involved in in that strategy i mean it's the same thing that clubs uh, do have they do prepare for the when the transfer market opens, right? It's not as if, oh shit, tomorrow the transfer market opens and now all of a sudden we need to start reviewing players and whatever. No, that also comes in a set. It's it's a rhythm that you have every year. So try to find where in your year, where where can you find the rhythm? And I would propose to do that before you start your season ticket campaign, because asking around why are you here. What is the reason you have a season ticket? Is already a vital question uh, to the to um, design your season ticket campaign on. Why did you not renew? Is a very relevant question to ask after the new season has just started and the and you lost a couple of old season ticket holders. Very important to ask, and this you can just schedule every year. Another question, Buzz. Very quickly. yes. I won't. I won't. I'll, I'll let you flow after this. Tom Goring at Bristol Rovers, the commercial director, as I'm mm -hmm. sure you know, um, he does a mid-season survey as well because yeah. he wants to kind of track where people are going and what people's views are and and whether they've changed much since. So that's quite a good idea, isn't it? But I, but I might add on top that if you're just about to start getting people used to delivering a survey every year, and a lot of clubs don't do them, so we've got to acknowledge that. Um, mm -hmm. um, if you can, being able to revisit it during the year is a good idea as well, because it allows you to track and it allows you to keep an eye on trends and things like that. Um, anyway, I just sort of chuck that one in. That that's, a, that's a possibility too. Yeah, it makes complete sense. And Tom Gorings indeed has done incredible work at all the clubs that he worked at uh, before. But in, indeed, asking around to your fans. I mean, this is standard practice in any other industry. Ask your customers. Uh, what they want, how they change their behavior. And they put a lot of resources into understanding the customers better. Uh, still strikes me why in sports we barely do this. But I know there are very good examples. As I said, the Dutch Eredivisie. I know the, the Football League has been doing this for quite some time. Uh, I know that Mark Bradley helps a lot with this, uh, helps organizations with this as well. So there's definitely amazing examples. Uh, UEFA is doing this more and more. So, but... This that's the reason why we do this series as well, of course, to help um, uh, organizations that have fans to actually understand, okay, how can we research it better and how can we extract insights from that? So anyways, we're still on the how to prepare part. I think also very important to realize when you are um, preparing is that you understand beforehand what your capacity is to analyze afterwards. I mean, you're going to get a lot of information chucked at you uh, when you've conducted the survey. And then you should always, that's why you should already uh, decide, okay, am I gonna ask close questions? So standardized uh, answers because they are easy to analyze or do I also have the capacity to analyze open questions? And in the Netherlands, it's good practice to actually conduct surveys by interns. Uh, there, there are pros and cons on that. The pros oh, are- I repeat that, I didn't, is to conduct surveys by- pardon? By interns. As in interns, so that are still yeah, that are yeah. still students, and as part of the curriculum in the Netherlands, you you need to have like a practical internship at, at the football club, for example, and this it's standard practice to uh, 
that fans can, or that the, the, the interns conduct these fan surveys. Now there's pros and cons on that because of course they don't know the organization that well yet. Um, though the pros are they are in, they are connected to a university and the university protects, of course, that there is at least a, a some sort of a standardized layer of quality from the survey. So it's it could be an option to to um, yeah, to consider to have an intern to actually conduct these kind of surveys. Now, so that's important. Open or closed questions. Again, uh, also a part in in how to prepare is the the type of the designing the questions um, that can measure the concept that you're asking. So there's there's different types of questions. You can ask fact questions. Uh, these these are of course uh, things that you almost always get in uh, in uh, these uh, uh, sweepstakes on uh, well, when was the last time that uh, England won uh, won a cup or whatever. Um, knowledge questions. So asking around if fans know about specific um, uh, sponsors, for example, uh, opinion questions, what do you think of? And then often that follows with, uh, with a scale of uh, uh, zero to 10, for example, uh, opinion questions, uh, open questions and closed questions are very important as well. So I mentioned that with the capacity to analyze. And um, when you define questions, it's always important to also um, Think about the order of the questions. So if you, for example, it's, it might sound very standard, but if you immediately dive into, uh, into very difficult questions to answer in question one to five, chances are that the respondent is not ready yet for they, these type of deep questions. So either they will click it away or they don't have, um, they don't give you the honest answer yet. So always lead up to sort of like the biggest proportion of the questions, the concepts that you're really trying to measure in the middle and warm the respondent up a bit. So what section do you sit? Uh, which stand do you often uh, go to? Those kind of very basic standard questions for, for also a respondent to allow him to get into the flow. Um, now, defining questions we've just run through. You want to say something? No, just very quickly. I think also, it, I always find I think that it helps to have a quite human way of speaking, if you like, when, mm -hmm. when you're doing a survey. Again, I'll point people to the fan the fan survey that I've done on rugby league. And look, it's not, you know, I, I've got some professional experience of doing surveying and working with polling companies and things like that. So I think I've got a good style, but it's not. Um, this is not an exact. You know, it, it might not conform to every, absolutely every industry requirement. But the way that I do it is just trying to kind of make it, say, a quite a human way of speaking. <laughs> so, it just, so it's not just, you know, do you do 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 do. It's sometimes it's it's just kind of, you know, allowing people to settle into the rhythm of answering questions and giving them a, you know, just kind of making them feel comfortable. That the language around it matters is all I'm saying, I suppose. Exactly. I have a very good uh, example of that because I saw on Twitter. Uh, someone joking around about a survey that they received from the Dutch uh, railway. Uh, um, uh, so the Nederlandse Spoorweg, it's called the Dutch railway provider, saying like that the header of the email leading to the survey was research about your intuitive associations. <laughs> right. <laughs> exactly. And that was also the main response. Like, wow, really thinking in the way of how your audience speaks. Yeah. Yeah. That's so. <laughs> Curious to see if that was any uh, successful uh, uh, yeah. successful survey, but 
anyways, so this is the, we're still on the topic of, of uh, how to prepare. And this is also the biggest part of, of course, designing a survey, uh, well, um, a well-defined survey. So what, what the other parts that are important on what are the measure skills that I'm going to use? Uh, there's, there's, of course, we know the, the, it's called the Likert scale from, from, um, <clears throat> completely disagree to completely agree. And often it's like a five point scale or a seven point scale. Those are very useful. And what they're, that's because of a couple of reasons. First of all, we're all familiar with those. Secondly, also because they're often equally, they're well balanced. They're equally positive and negative. And I've seen some bad examples of surveys where there was one negative answer option and then four positive answer options. And that, sort of leads the respondent already to a positive answer and it's the survey is not designed for you to get a pat on the back and to show that you were doing stuff good uh, that you're doing stuff great no the survey is actually to define the negatives and see if you can flip those around so that's 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 something that's very important as well. What are the, my answering options? So we've now discussed in the in the area of how to prepare. We've discussed types of questions. We've the, uh, discussed a bit of how the answer skills, the ordering, of course, of questions is also important. Now that you've defined a, um, so we went down from what are the concepts that we're trying to measure, how we're going to design questions that are actually leading through to insights on those concepts. What kind of answering options do we have? Open text box answers could also be an option, but as I said, they're very, they're more difficult to analyze. Then the ordering effect we discussed, then it's important to always design a pilot survey. And for practical reasons, it's a pilot survey is actually testing your, the questionnaire that you've created with some users already to see if there are any mistakes or any interpretation errors in your questions or your answers. So convenient option would be to, um, to just pass this on to some colleagues and make them um, review it and already eliminate some, some uh, questions. For example, ask them if, if, you, if they think that a question is double or is it unclear. This is a very important phase because this, instead of just chucking the survey straight to the fans, this could already uh, take away. It's the same like proofreading an article when you publish something on the website. You need to make sure that, that you're actually going to measure what you're trying to measure. Um, now, here's a list of common pitfalls that I see in surveys, uh, as, as you just said, Kev, as well. Difficult language, like the, the Dutch railway uh, system. Uh, no double-barreled questions. Also, uh, I see often that uh, a question gets asked, uh, gets asked, with then with then following followed by another question, and then you need to answer. Then you get your answering options, which means that you're basically trying to measure multiple concepts in one question, which is very difficult because it leaves the respondent, "Hey, how do I answer to this? Which one should I answer? What's what's going on?" So that's that's a an, um, that's something I see often. And avoid confusion, of course, is, is also important both in the question and in the answer uh, options. If answer options look alike a lot, that makes, the, um, makes it quite confusing for the respondent to answer in this. Um, present all the answering options in a clear manner. As I said, the Likert scale, the, the completely disagree to the completely agree 
scale is so good because again, it's well balanced, but it also it's avoids confusement and it presents all the answering options in a clear manner. We're very used to answering those kind of ways. So that's interesting. Now, one thing I have to say about this, because in different countries, you get different, different responses to these kind of scales. For example, in the Netherlands, um, there's, we're less going less to the extremes of the, of the end of the scales. So if we think something is very good, say we now take in this example a scale from zero to 10, the Dutch always answer around seven or eight if they're very positive about something. Where Latin language, uh, Latin countries, and this is this is scientifically researched, so this is not something I'm I'm assuming. Latin language, Latin um, uh, cultures avoid further down the spectrums, so they will go for a zero or one if they think it's really bad or if something is really good. They more often lean towards a nine or a ten. So wherever you're now uh, listening from this is always important to realize so if you compare your survey to someone else's always think about the cultural influences from the respondents in that uh, in that sense as well and i'll just quickly chuck in here though is that the likert scale i think the the recommended number is i'm just trying to remember now i think it's because i did some research on this myself before putting together my recent survey is um it's four or seven you shouldn't you're not advised to do 10 anyway yeah, um, five or seven, because you always need a neutral middle. Yeah, 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 exactly. Uh, so I, mean, I think five tends to be the best place, but yeah, five or seven. So yeah, uneven number. Yeah, exactly. That's a good, uh, good addition. Then, so we've run through a point of, okay, we want to measure the concept. We are going to uh, write down the questions that are going to measure the concept, the answer options. Now we get to the point of, oh yeah, we've of course piloted uh, the survey uh, with a small sample colleagues, whatever. Now we're getting to the point of, okay, who am I gonna, who's my target group for this? Um, this is something we've discussed uh, slightly earlier as well already, because this, this is of course where your research question comes from. This is directly leading down to your research question. So if you say, uh, should I improve my hospitality offering on med stays? You already know that your sample is everyone that uses hospitality offerings on med stays. So defining that's your population in that sense. And defining a sample is always a percentage of the population, because as we discussed, you can never measure 100% of everyone. Therefore, sampling is a very good methodology. Now, sampling is a difficult topic that I will not discuss in this, uh, in this chapter, because there are a lot of constraints on that. Is your sample representative? For example, if your, uh, your match day visitors are say 50% men, 50% women, and your respondents are only men, then your sample is not representative. Now you can always correct for that afterwards, but that's a bit of like a, an academic way of, of, of explaining it. Mo most important part is, do you have enough respondents? And if you Google quite quickly sample calculation, uh, you can already find some websites that help you define what is your ideal measure. Say rule of thumb, 250 respondents is the the bare minimum now again as well sorry um that um don't claim don't don't make claims about your survey that aren't true so if you're doing a survey for example that is self-selecting mm -hmm. survey i've been running in rugby league which is up to people to come and answer rather than me picking them yes um, choosing 
um, uh, particular demographics and things like that, then make it clear when you publish your results that the survey was self-selecting and therefore isn't regarded as representative, but can nonetheless still produce some interesting results. So it's just worth mentioning that as well. Exactly. And it's the same thing with um, if your sample size is smaller than 250, as the rule of thumb, you should say that this is these results are from the responses that are filled it in, but there are some confidence, confidentiality issues that you cannot extract this as being the opinion of the wider population. Um, and that's you. You often find quite some some interesting in examples from that with uh, with um, uh, political polling, for example, where you sometimes see that a an exit poll gives. I don't know. Uh, I think it was also with uh, with the, the American um, uh, elections again that they said that um, uh, Hillary Clinton was going to win from the exit polls. So everyone was kind of leaning towards that. And then in the end, Donald Trump won it because there's again, a good example of that exit polling is again, a sample that speaks for on behalf of the wider population. But if your sample is not representative of the wider population, you will get different types of, um, uh, different types of, uh, um, uh, different types of uh, answers. So anyways, this was the this was the ending on how to prepare. So we've discussed research questions, uh, uh, question uh, types. Then we have the uh, the answer types, the common pitfalls. We define the sample. Will your sample be representative? Always look after that. Now we get to the second part. Uh, we just finished off how to prepare, and now we will go to how to involve, uh, who to involve. And, the, and I discussed this, how to prepare in, yeah, in, in quite extensively, because this is the biggest part of surveying. Very, very important. Um, the other five we can, or four, we can run through quite a bit quicker. Um, second element, how, who to involve. As I mentioned, if you're going to measure concepts, always make sure that internally you have everyone aligned. Make sure that not everyone is uh, going to send their own survey uh, to um, uh, to the fans because over surveying will in the end lead to less uh, respondents, therefore less a chance of getting good insights and results from it. So always make sure that all departments are know that you're going to do this and always ask them as well what do they uh, what do they want. Now other um, other element that we need to discuss is how to execute. So define when is best moment to survey. Uh, as I said in the example of the season ticket campaign, I would uh, survey before you are designing your new campaign, because from that survey, you can ask, for example, uh, why are you sitting in the stadium? Why are you a season ticket holder with us? And those answers you can then use to, to inspire your, uh, your, um, your season ticket campaign on. For example, if people say, you know what, it's, it's such a nice social uh, social activity, regardless of what sportive results we have, then you know you should not design your season ticket uh, campaign based on sportive, sportive results, because not, that's not the reason why season ticket holders are there for. So that is important. Um, how to execute is always also important. Do I do this digitally? Do I do it on paper? Because it's also quite common practice to run so small surveys uh, before fans enter the stadium, very good chance of, of getting a very good representative sample. 
Um, though the downside is, is there time enough? Uh, are they looking, uh, still looking? Are they, what's the willingness to help? And digitally, of course, it's more convenient. Now, how to execute, also important to send, of course, reminders. So for the first, you uh, send out the survey to your selected sample that represents your selected population. After a week, re-email the ones that have not replied yet, because it could be that it just slipped their attention or whatever. If you do it a second time, that's often in the academic area, in the academic uh, sphere, that's the maximum that you do. So you give the reminders. Of course, you exclude the ones that have already filled it in. But sending out the reminders is very important because you will see every time you'll see a spike on, um, on uh, collecting uh, yeah, new responses again. So that's important. Then, uh, so that was the third part, how to execute. We'll go to the fourth part. Very important, how to analyze. So say a month later, you finished your survey and uh, you've uh, sent out uh, two reminder emails and you've collected a thousand respondents. Great. If everything went well, that is a selective uh, sample um, representing the population you were trying to measure, uh, trying to get the answers from. Here's, here's an important part. Did you, how, what, what platform did you use if you used it in a digital form? So if, for example, you use uh, SurveyMonkey or .digital or whatever, most email platforms also have a survey module. And most of those survey modules also have automated answer options. So very important to see already how they, um, how they are presenting the answers, uh, what, how they're presenting the results. Communicating insights is a very difficult skill, actually, um, on how to, how to create uh, um, data visualizations, what story you're going to tell with that. So this is, again, also a different, uh, different topic I will not dive too far into in this, uh, in this uh, podcast. But relevant is understanding who's the audience that is going to listen to the insights that I'm going to represent and what are the answers that they are probably um, most interested in. Those are the ones you're going to present. Um, as I said, digitally, they can, help, uh, can, uh, can be quite easy. A couple of clicks of, of a button. If, if you did it on paper in front of the stadium, again, very good to make sure you have the right sample. But of course, it needs time to process them first as well. So that's going to take a lot of work, but take that into your uh, preparation as well. But make sure you put it into uh, somewhere onto your computer that you're able to analyze this. So Excel would be perfect, of course, because then you can uh, create visualizations representing those results. Um, so that's the self-analyzing. You could also, uh, of course, choose to get it analyzed by an external party, either uh, an intern, which I see as an external because they're only inside the organization often for a short amount of time, or uh, get the results analyzed by experts. Now, there are a couple of organizations out there. It's work that I do by chance as well, but it's very relevant that you, uh, that you understand, okay, what is the data trying to tell me? A data set can tell so many stories, but it's very relevant that you have someone that has the skill to actually peel out the answers that you are trying to uh, get answered with the research questions that you, you know, that you defined. So very important uh, aspect. 
Also, the visual representation, of course, is relevant. Um, but yeah, let's leave that one um, for now. How to report? This is, we've, we've sort of combined this with the second last topic, but this is the last one, how to report your results. Important to always feed back to all internal stakeholders that you consulted when uh, creating the survey. What I've done, for example, with uh, what, what I've done with uh, when I was working in AZ, and I still advise my clients that as well. Let's get back to the example of the post-match uh, survey. I always uh, advise to, uh, to, um, to report the results back to all internal stakeholders from that. So say you have after every home game and say every two weeks you have a game, every quarter you report on the results because that makes, uh, that makes sure that your hospitality manager or your merchandising manager can actually improve how he, uh, how he operates during match days. Say queues are too long, the hospitality manager can, for example, consider um, hiring more employees or the merchandising manager, uh, I don't know, a shirt is always out of stock. The merchandising manager can then immediately uh, react to the, to the insights that you extracted with the survey by making sure that this stock is more, uh, um, that he has more stock uh, before the match uh, uh, starts. Additional, port, sorry, yeah. just a quick addition, you might be getting onto this, but I thought I'd chuck it in now, is um, I would always ensure that the board and the chief executive are copied into the results to make sure yes. that they're, they're getting back a sense of what's going on as well. Um, don't let it become, don't let this become, even if it is an operational survey focused on, you know, maybe fan experience, match day stuff, whatever. Or I would always feed, you know, ensure that at the very least the board and the chief executive, managing director, general manager, whatever, receive a report um, so that they can see what's going on too. It's always useful to do that. 100%, because indeed, even though this is a very operational process to do, it is for strategic vital, uh, it's, it plays a strategic vital role in understanding again, who are the, the, the people that you are creating your, your football experience for. So it's a vital element in any strategy to understand the market, whether it's a non-football or a football environment. Understanding the market is what every CEO wants to do. So always include your, your board or your directors or whoever you, uh, who's the highest uh, up in the food chain. So uh, let me conclude the last part, how to report, present in a structured manner, answer, answer all research questions. So when you have your, your, your data set or you're answering uh, your answers to your questions from the survey, loop it back into the research questions that you defined beforehand. What, how can I improve my hospitality experience on match days, for example, was one research question we defined. And from your survey, you would then uh, be able to answer that question. Um, make sure that queues are better structured. Make sure that there is more staff. Make sure that beer doesn't run out. Make sure that the hot dogs are uh, the right temperature. Those kind of things. That is the way how you present the results back. And that is the way how you allow the organization to optimally adopt all the insights that you extracted. Um, now, the last part that you should always think about, is this a recurring survey or is this a one-time survey? Both of them has pros and, have pros and cons, but a recurring one always allows you to sort of define a zero measure point 
and then see if if insights have indeed been adopted uh, yes or no sorry, and Matt, if mean, sorry right? Matt, you, what do you mean by a zero measure point well you always need to have your sort of your like okay what's my current situation at the moment so if with with your very first um very first survey you kind of get like a photograph of the situation of now yeah. uh, exposing all the the positive parts and the negative parts and of course that photograph if you take that three months later mm -hmm. the negative parts should uh, should be improved okay. and the positive parts should be maybe even uh, just stayed the same yeah. or even promoted more yeah so um, we call that a baseline yeah. <clears throat> a baseline sorry we call it a zero point measure so yeah you know, the baseline, exactly. Baseline, yeah. Cool. Yeah. So then, so that's it. That's the the final point. Am I gonna redo this again? Make sure that you keep the questions in exactly the same way to make sure that you keep measuring the same concept over and over. Um, and yeah, that that's basically it. That's how you conduct a fan survey. That's how you extract insights to improve whatever you want to improve inside your your sports organization. Excellent, and um, yeah, it's 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 worth just quickly. Uh, you mentioned a couple. There are lots of different ways of doing these surveys. Mm -hmm. Money, then obviously you can get people to do these surveys. And there are there are companies like Populous, like ICM um, Research, um, and others who are more often more known for political opinion polls. But actually, what their real job of work is is to do research and insights into um, customer. Um, stakeholder type of um, uh, um, of, in, of inquiries into their experiences and things like that. Um, but if you haven't got the money, which a lot of you won't, then there's loads of information out there. There are platforms like, as you've mentioned, SurveyMonkey. I know Mailchimp now have a questionnaire bolt on Google Forms. Can I just add? Be careful with Google because um, you know it's a, it's an early platform. There are sharing issues with that as well but to make sure that you manage the platform well and that you keep your data um, secure. Um, uh, but there's a lot, you know, and then if you want to know a little bit, just for me, having been a research, social, an economic and social researcher for a while um, uh, in charities and local authorities, in local government, is um, go and uh, read up on research. It's worth having a look at, in this country, the UK Economic and Social Research Council, um, or just visit um, uh, websites like the um, Office for National Statistics. You'll have something similar in the Netherlands. And it's mm -hmm. an arm's length statistical research um, body. Uh, and they um, manage effectively kind of manage standards for things like that. Um, and um, that will be a good place to look. And also, if you are looking, if you have got the budget to, to, to pay someone, and it can be thousands of pounds to carry out such research, then always make sure that they're members of the, um, the standards body for the industry when it comes to market research. I can't remember the exact name of it, but let me just quickly, Baz, sorry, I will put this in the episode description. Um, let me just quickly um, get that up because I think this is important for people who do, yeah, the, so the market, people like the Market Research Society, look for, look for um, organizations and companies that have uh, what we would say a kite, a kite mark that they that they conform to the best standards in the area. Um, but we're going to put all this stuff in the episode description, aren't we, Baz? Exactly. Plus, I will um, 
I will create an example of a post-match survey that I've, <coughs> I've created before, uh, just to give you an insight on, okay, what does a, a post-match survey look like? Um, and how can you, you, you could directly copy that over. It wouldn't be the smart thing to do because this was defined based on the measures of that specific organization, the concepts that that organization wanted to measure. But at least it gives you a bit of like an insight on what does a, uh, a post-match survey look like? What could I uh, include and how could I define the questions? How could I define the answer options, et cetera? So I will make sure that Kevin puts that in the descriptions as well. Uh, plus, I will tweet it out from my own account uh, later on as well. And I'll also add that if you do want to speak to anyone in, and a lot of them are part of the fan engagement network, which um, I think fan engagement overseas is, we know a lot of people, um, I know a lot of people who could be useful, um, who run these surveys, who mm -hmm. clubs, um, drop us a line, hello at fanengagement.net if you want to speak to anyone in the network and I'm sure I can put you in touch with someone useful. Anyway, Baz, I know how busy you are, mate. Thank you very much for, for taking the time to, um, to, to, to record this episode. I, I hope everyone finds it really useful and feedback, hello at fanengagement.net or um, uh, any of our social channels via fanengagement.net. You'll be able to find everything on there or search, think fan engagement. Thank you, Baz. Pleasure is all mine. Thanks.